Over the past few years, the deconstruction movement has taken the country by storm, leaving millions of Americans questioning their faith and where they stand with the church. And as faith and religion have negatively impacted the way our society functions, many people are feeling lost and unsure of where to seek community. My guest today, Matthias Roberts, shares his own personal faith-restoring journey and how his new book, Holy Runaways, is for those looking for a way to reclaim their faith after being burned by religion. So what does it mean to reclaim your faith and heal from church hurt? You're listening to We Need to Talk. So you Matthias Roberts, thank you so much for being on the show. I cannot tell you how excited I am to chat with you. I'm so excited too. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you have this new book out called Holy Runaways. I was immediately drawn to the title. And for me personally, I don't know if you know any of my story, but I actually never was in the deconstruction like journey. I mm. grew up in a very progressive Christian household, was always taught love, was exposed to LGBTQ community at a very young age. So it was always normalized for me. So big ups to my parents mm. for that. Um, and I really wasn't exposed to evangelical theology and the way of life until I went to college. So being in part of the deconstruction movement now and really having those conversations has been really uh, interesting and also heartbreaking, to be honest, mm. because I didn't realize how much pain and hurt people went through in the church because that wasn't my experience. Right. Um, sure. And so that in your book is really geared towards those people. But I would love to hear just a little bit of your personal story and what was the turning point that made you a holy runaway, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I grew up like opposite of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was not exposed to queer people. I, I grew up in like a really uh, conservative, almost fundamentalist environment, like right on that line. Uh, I was homeschooled for religious reasons. My parents didn't want me to, you know, to learn about like evolution or any of like those things. And so like, it wasn't a terrible way to grow up. Like I have really fond memories because I didn't know what I didn't know. Of course. But like once I started realizing that I was gay, that I was queer, like that's when things started getting really difficult. I started thinking like, oh, there's something so fundamentally wrong about me, broken about me, that if anyone ever finds out about this, I, I literally had like nightmares of people stoning me like because of like the Leviticus text. Yeah. And so that started this like disconnect and it wasn't, you know, until years later after I went to an evangelical college, it's kind of there that things started to fall apart a little bit, but, but it, it was still after that, that I really started getting into these questions of what do I do with this faith? That's telling me I don't actually belong. Mm. And yet, I have this deep belief that the God I believe in, I do belong. So how do I make sense of that? <laughs> I think that, that that's a very common path in, in terms of like mindset, like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, you take uh -huh. a step back, like this doesn't make sense. And I really love that people are 
starting to question because you're not taught critical thinking in the church. You're not taught to question anything. You're like, this is what it is. And that's what you're just supposed to believe. So I can only imagine how daunting that is going through that and hearing like, wait, I'm here and I believe in God. I love God, but you're all telling me God doesn't love me, you know? And like, I I chose to be this way, which I think is the most ridiculous thing. Like, okay. Anyway, (laughs) so as we, yeah, but it is ridiculous. It's like, I, I, at some point you just kind of have to laugh about it because after all the tears and, and the anger, right? You just have to laugh because I look at it and I have conversations with people who still think that way that like I went to college and I'm like, just, just please consider the other side of this for five seconds and see how it doesn't make any sense. This is a God of love. What, how is what you are doing and what you're saying fall under the love category? And you know, you know, you sometimes you get critics or you get blocked. (laughs) That's usually what (laughs) happens with me. Um, but you know, as, as you know, I've had these conversations and this deconstruction movement is really becoming more and more prominent and people starting to question their faith and, and, you know, have new versions of Christianity or really just make their spiritual journey a more personal thing, which is definitely something that I've, I've done just not even wanting to be a part of church in general. Um, and it's happened with good reason, but for people that don't really understand the deconstruction movement and are outside of it, how would you, how do you explain it to them? Cause I'm sure you've had people, you know, ask, what is this about? Why are people running away from their faith? Which it's not really that simple. Yeah. Yeah, as with all things, I think it depends on who I'm talking to. Right. But, but the, the the way I think about it is, I mean, I don't I don't love the term deconstruction, but I understand like it's it is the it's the term that has kind of started to mean this collective experience yeah. and that many it's people the mainstream are, and, right yeah yeah, yeah it, it's the word that we use and uh, I you know I think about it in a way of uh, like disillusionment. Uh, people who have become disillusioned with the faith communities that they were raised within and are saying like something isn't adding up here something isn't right like I I talk about at the beginning of my book like the experience of watching you know like over 80 percent of my peers people I grew up with people who babysat me like vote against what I thought was every value that they taught me um in 2016 and then to see it happen again in 2020 see like nothing has even changed here really like it's the same people are still voting for this that sense of disillusionment combined with a sense of like what in the world is going on this has shape-shifted into something like around me i don't feel like i've moved and yet they're all telling me that i'm the problem and the, the baffling experience of I need to figure out what's what's going on. I, I think that's what's behind it. And I love that you brought up, you know, people essentially voting against their values because I've been really surprised, one, at how heavy the intersection of people's faith and politics really has come to light in the last few years, um, but how obvious, at least it is to, to you and I, how this, this isn't lining up. Like you say, you love Jesus. (laughs) You say, you know what I mean? And this is what, like, I, I'm so confused by that, but you know, I'm curious why you think the Republican party has been able to basically put the, the the Christian community and evangelical community in a chokehold, because I, 
have never seen a Republican platform that has aligned with what I have always believed were Christian values. I think this is when we start to get into really tricky territory. Um, so some of my belief around this, I want to say it from the get-go, I don't know if it's reality. This is how I think about it, at least. <laughs> it is... There has been an increase of fear, um, I think, just culturally uh, across the board. And I think, like, in some ways worldwide, but definitely here in the United States, like, since 9-11, um, but I, I think before that, too, um, an increase in fear, but also an increase in people who haven't historically had power getting forms of power, right? Quote, unquote, forms of power, Right otherwise known as like more equal treatment. <laughs> um, but like that also strokes fear in um, and amongst folks who historically have had power, right? Because it's destabilizing. People are saying like the way you're leading doesn't actually benefit me. We want to change this. Um, so, so we have those things combining. Uh, and whenever those things start to combine, fear starts to increase rhetoric of here's how we define who is in the in-group and here's how we define who is in the out-group starts to become more and more effective at controlling people. And so if someone can get really clear, these people are bad, they're not one of us, we are against them, then we can start to dehumanize them. <laughs> we can start to not see them as people and increase the sense of community that comes at the expense of those who are out. Oof, oof. You just hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. And it's everything that you were saying. I feel like I've had a conversation with somebody that thinks that way <laughs> and it's so damaging. And also it just, again, I go back to love. I think love is such a simple concept and we've actually made it a, a very complicated thing. You know, I, I don't think, I, I personally, my faith has never been very complicated. And again, big ups to my, my parents, specifically my mom. She's, she was really the church goer. My dad kind of was like, I'll go like Christmas and Easter. Like he was like that type of church person. <laughs> but, you know, the concept of loving people, accepting them for who they are and having everyone be a part of this community that God created um, was, I've noticed is not really what the goal is for a lot of people, right? It's it's become very cliquish, so to speak, like a you can't sit with us situation, which I'm like, I don't think that that's how God or Jesus operates. And it, it, I've seen it in a lot of churches that I went to to like lead worship, guest lead worship, or just go with friends. And it's, again, I had never deconstructed, but it made me not want to return to church and feel Absolutely. like I didn't, yeah. I was like, well, I, God and I are good. Like, we talk all the time. Like, I don't know if I need this, right? right? So when you look back on your church experience, do you have gratitude, though, for kind of coming into this new version of your faith? Or do you still feel, like, pain and hurt and regret? Or is it, like, kind of simultaneous of their journey? It's simultaneous, yeah. It's both. Yeah, I think I have deep gratitude for some of the values that I was taught, like some of these values that we're talking about, this belief in love, this belief in belonging and unconditional love and healing, that, the, that these things are possible. Um, like I have such 
gratitude for, for those. And like, there's so much pain there with when it kind of hit me or began to realize like all these things they're saying, they're not actually practicing. Um, they're telling me I'm loved unconditionally, but then expecting me to meet this definition of what it means to be lovable. <laughs> um, and otherwise love is a form of pity. I think that that's, that's the hard, the hard thing is like, you're telling me you love me, but you're inviting me out for coffee and like trying to convert me now instead right. of like loving me. Instead so of just loving me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it is, it is the it, love always like you, you mentioned the word control, which really is the best way to describe it. Love in that, in those spaces do become a form of control. It's like, there's a, I love you, but there's always a, but, <laughs> or I love you. So maybe this, or I love you. And God told me to tell you, that's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, it's so fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of people that have been going through this, rediscovering their faith, reevaluating, deconstructing, whatever the word is that that, that we want to use, um, you know, I've found, and I I don't fault them for coming to this conclusion, but some people just find that they don't want to be close to anything spiritual, or even if it's religious adjacent, they just decided in that, you know, discovery of faith and diving deep and trying to, to refine themselves. They're like, you know what, this just isn't for me. Have you had conversations with people like that, that have just completely walked away altogether? And, and what was that conversation like? Cause I don't fault them at all. Yeah, I, I oh, absolutely have had those conversations. Uh, and, um, so, I mean, a couple of things are coming to mind. One is, I think some people need that. So, some people need to step away. I, I think being able to say goodbye to actually leave a place that has been harmful is one of the bravest things that we can do. And, and if that means walking away from faith entirely, I, I think there's blessing in that. I think there's goodness in that. Um, and I hear, I hear your grief. I mean, the, the sadness of, of like, this was people, but, but, but I, I want to play with that idea a little bit though, because I, I think if we just say, this is just people, God is this, <laughs> but people treated you this way that actually can, um, and I know you don't mean this this way, but I think that can, um, invalidate some folks experiences of where the people have been so tied to God that they can't actually separate. They can't separate that sense of like, well, the people did this, but you're telling me that God is loving. Um, I can't separate this. And, and so I think, I think like those folks who need to walk away, like they need to be able to do that. Uh, and um, whether they come back to faith or not, it doesn't really matter to me, but it's to be able to work with, start to work with those senses of how that has been all fused together um, 
I think walking away might be the first step for that for some folks. Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. And I, I'm glad that you said that. Um, I just always tend to think, I think it was Gandhi that said that. And he said, you know, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And yeah, I just always think of that because at least, you know, in, in the circles that I have been in and the friendships that I have and the people that I know that have completely walked away, the number one thing that they say is that people hurt them. And like, if this is, if these are the people that are following Christ, I don't want any part of that. Right. And I get it again. I don't fault them. I think it's, it's very fair. There's, there's enough data out there to show why people would feel that way and, and, you know, feel the need to just find something else. And I think honestly, I'm the type of person that's whatever makes you happy and helps you be the best person you can possibly be, then that's what you need to do. Whether that is walking away completely or if it is kind of redefining what faith is and what religion is for you, just be the best person that you can be and choose how to love people and treat them with kindness. I think that that's always what is what should be at the forefront of people's journey. And I know that, you know, I, I, I haven't been to church. God, I, I stepped down from being a worship leader probably two years ago. And even, you know, being in a more progressive church space, there were just... Anytime you get a group of people together, there's going to be, <laughs> no matter what the organization or the situation, right? Let's yep. just be honest. Yep. Group, group of friends, it's a corporate, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be something and there's always, it's it's difficult with lots of personalities. And so I that was for me. But I've found that, that my spiritual journey since I walked away has actually been stronger. But I yeah. know for people that have walked away, losing a part of themselves it like being a part of a church community is really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. So how do you suggest to other people that maybe just need a community and it doesn't necessarily have to be religious, but how do you suggest people, you know, trying to just find some other form of community, just kind of fill that hole or that void that they're missing from leaving a church space? Yeah. I play with this in the book a little bit. There's a womanist theologian named Cheryl A. Kirk Dugan who, who talks about in her book is called a book called refiner's fire uh she talks about community and this rebuilding of community uh, she likens it to this idea of a group of close friends finding a group of friends and and in, in some ways it's a really simple concept but also a really complicated thing <laughs> i mean Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> but but that, that that idea of a group of people that you can, you know, sit and drink wine with and, you know, laugh and have a lot of fun, but also the the people that you can go to and say this really shitty thing happened to me and everyone kind of comes around you and sits with you and 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 tends, cares, cares for you in that. Um it, it's it's not the same as what a lot of churches have been for us. Um, and I really like her imagination of that because I think it, it simplifies this idea from community needing to be this kind of corporate, and I mean corporate not in like business, but this corporate thing to a redefining of it. Can community just be our friendships? Can community just be these everyday things that then we get to lean into and open up to instead of us feeling like, well, because I'm not part of this corporate community, there's something wrong. Oh, and I think a lot of us were taught, like, if you aren't part of the church, there's something wrong. <laughs> Absolutely conditioned to think that. And it's yeah. a shame because 
I do think, in for me at least, when I am with a group of friends or people that have aligned values, like I find God in those moments, mm-hmm. you know. And you don't, I don't think you need to be in a building with four walls that has a cross at the front right. to be close to God. And you know, I noticed that a lot during the pandemic when people were so upset that churches were closed. I'm like. Church can be anywhere. Church can be, you don't need to be inside a sanctuary to to have community and fellowship or just feel closeness to God. So yes, I I, I love that. I'm, I'm very aligned with that. And I think that's a, a really beautiful sentiment. For you, having been through this journey and even with writing this book, what has been the hardest part to heal for you? I, you know, I think... Um, one of the most difficult parts has been being able to be more and more honest about the ways I've been hurt. Being more and more honest about my pain. Um, I don't know that that has made it more difficult to heal, but but I think it's very rare because it takes so much effort and energy and safety that is also rare to be able to to actually get into the depths of our pain. Um, and, and, and so for me, having spaces, like, like for example, with my therapist, but also with some of the community that, that I've built since like leaving the church, um, being able to, to have my pain reflected back to me from people who see it maybe a little bit more clearly, <laughs> see my story a little bit more clear than I can, who can invite me into these things of like, well, if this happened to you, then, then it might mean X, Y, and Z. It might mean that this is what was happening. And, and getting into this, these deeper senses of, oh, this is so much bigger than just me. And this is how it impacted me. That has been profoundly difficult and ongoing. Um, I, I, one of the, the main premises of this book is that in order to rediscover faith, but rediscover ourselves, really, we have to be able to be honest about our pain. And we have to be able to get that pain to someone, some people, to help us work with it. Um, that's a difficult, difficult process. Absolutely, because also comes with you know just admitting and a lot of people don't want to admit and they're in denial and then going to get help also which again being in the church you know they don't really encourage that all you need is jesus but you can have jesus and a therapist too it's one of my favorite sayings it's one of my favorite (laughs) sayings jesus and a therapist you're totally fine i promise you um yeah i think i mean healing for everybody definitely looks different especially in this space. Um, and all the different stories that I've heard and the people that I've talked to, I would say one of the common threads um, in terms of healing was the loss of people mm. in their life. Yeah. Um, especially from people that, like you, you had mentioned, say, said that they loved you, mm. that they cared for you. But then when push came to shove or you your true identity came to the forefront or you say Black Lives Matter, whatever the case may be, and you lose that relationship, that I know is has been a very 
hard part to heal. And I know for me personally, just, you know, bringing up BLM all through 2020, it was Mm. very painful to see people that I would sing worship next to. All lives matter. All lives matter. And I'm like, so you're, you would, you were literally next to me singing and you would say that to my face. Um, so that, that, was really something that was a shocker to me. Um, I think we all were shocked during 2020. I mean, that, that year, I, I always tell my, my daughter's three and a half, and I'm like, when you're in high school and you learn about 2020, you're going to be shocked because <laughs> it was a doozy. Um, there was so much. But, yeah, I think the relationships for a lot of people in this space, that's that's been the hardest part to heal, and I get it. I absolutely get it. Well, because it, I mean, it brings up the category of betrayal. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think mm. I mean that's what so much of this pain is from is the betrayal. Of here's yeah. what you said you were. Here's what I thought you were, and here and now and you're not that. Ooh, um, and yeah. in fact, what you are doing is throwing me under the bus, and you are unwilling to even consider that there may be harm there. You can't even yeah. see the harm. Yeah. And yet I'm over here bleeding. Mm. Um, mm. Like, yeah. that, I mean, that is a profound level of pain. And that will take a lot of time, yeah. a lot of time to heal. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you look at, this is one of my favorite questions to ask people. Um, when you look at just kind of where the church is now as a whole, and, you know, not trying to overgeneralize, but when you do look at the way the church is functioning, kind of how people are voting with their faith, quote unquote, do you have hope for the church to kind of reevaluate themselves and and either fixing things or changing things or do you kind of think it needs to all be burned down <laughs> and recreated because I, I go back and forth and I'm like I don't know I think I want to burn and burn it down and start over train but I always love to hear what other people think because some people are so optimistic like no I really think if we do this we do this and I'm like mm, I don't know honey but I'm curious your thoughts <laughs> in case you're wondering why I'm laughing it's because you can't see his face right now <laughs> it's it's it says everything yeah you know, where I have hope is, I think, what is emerging from the margins. Um, that's where I have hope, where where we have the people who are saying, there's something wrong here. Something needs to change. I have so much hope from that. And, and even some optimism from that in the fact that it is happening and people are speaking. And, and it seems like more and more people are starting to listen. Um, that I have hope. Uh, do I have hope in the church, in the institution? No. Mm-mm. I don't. I, I do not think it will survive, um, and nor do I think it should, because um, I think we're talking about a system that has been built upon oppression, um, built upon control, um, built as a function of empire, um, and um, that... N- I think needs to be taken apart, needs to collapse in order for something more life-giving to come through. I love that phrase. I love that. I think that's beautiful. So you've gone through your journey 
and you've rediscovered your faith, so to speak. So when you think of God or you think of Jesus or you hear those names, what does that do to you? Like, how do you feel? What does that spark in you? Is it triggering or is it now comforting? Because I know it's different for a lot of people, and I just want to know for your experience what it is for you. Yeah. Again, I think it it so profoundly depends on whose mouth those words are coming out of. (laughs) Fair point. Yeah. (laughs) Like, at times, it's so triggering. Like, I just, like, get away from me. I don't want to listen to a word that you say. And other people, I like, it's like this this lovely comfort of, like, oh, my gosh, yes. Like, that feels so good to hear. It gives me hope. Um, and yeah, so there's, there's a huge both and there for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your book, I have to say, um, and I would love for you obviously to tell everyone where they can get it in just a second. One of the things I really loved about it is just how accessible it is to any reader. Mm -hmm. I, I love the, the chapter titles. I know that's like an interesting thing to say, but I just thought that that was so fun and simple, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but the way that it's broken up, the way you are very, very vulnerable and personable, I just think that anyone listening, if you get this book, you are invited to come along this journey wherever you're at, honestly. I think it's for people that are about to start the journey, that have already finished the journey or in the middle of the journey. It's just, it's so accessible and I congratulate you because it is wonderful. So please let everyone know, one, where they can follow you on social media and where they can get your book, Holy Runaways. Yeah, so you can find me across social media at MatthiasRoberts, uh, MatthiasRoberts.com. That's with two T's. Uh, and Holy Runaways, you can find wherever you buy books. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, go to your local bookstore. They can get it. It might take them a couple of days, but um, support that. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Matthias, thank you so much. I absolutely loved chatting with you, and I hope that this book reaches the masses because it is very needed, and so is everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for sitting down. Oh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Remember, everything begins with a conversation. We'll see you next week.